the whole thing started, like many of the, the very best ideas out there, after too many drinks with, uh, with friends. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Jordan Silbert, who is the founder and CEO of Q Mixers. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. So I want to start with just the backstory of Q Mixers. How did the business come about? Sure. So Q Mixers, we make a line of spectacular carbonated mixers, you know, like a tonic water, a ginger beer, club soda, ginger ale, all called Q. So Q tonic water, Q ginger beer. And they're served at thousands of bars and restaurants, for example, all the Four Seasons hotels in the country, as well as available at just about every major retailer in the country, you know, Kroger, Albertsons, Target, Whole Foods, what have you. I have now been at it for, geez, almost 14 years, which is a long time. The whole thing started, like many of the, the very best ideas out there, after too many drinks with, uh, with friends, so with my good friends. 14, 15 years ago, I used to be uh, a little younger than I am now, and I used to be able to have two, three, four, six drinks on a Tuesday night and be pretty good on a Wednesday morning. And at that point, I was living with a roommate in a beautiful ground floor apartment in uh, in Brooklyn, in the Fort Greene section of Brooklyn. And it was a nice kind of summer afternoon night. And we had some friends over for drinks. Justin, my roommate, had some, some reason had a bottle of Tangeray lying around. So we started pouring uh, gin and tonic after gin and tonic. And a couple of drinks in, uh, one of my uh, best friends was telling the same stupid story he always tells. And I realized my teeth were a little sticky. I was like, that's kind of weird. And I picked up the bottle of Schweppes, which was just kind of lying right in front of me. And I looked at the ingredients, you know, 25 grams of high fructose corn syrup, natural, natural and artificial flavors, sodium benzoate. I was like, that's weird. I thought tonic water was some like bitter water thing. Anyway, one of my good friends, then girlfriends, now wife and mother of his two kids was uh, drinking a Sprite. So he's like, hey, Sarah, can I uh, look at your Sprite for a second? She said, sure. 26 grams of high fructose corn syrup, natural and artificial flavors, sodium benzoate. I'm like, guys, these are like the same thing. One's just green and the other one's yellow. That's crazy. Be my good friends. They immediately ignored it. And we started talking about 5,000 other things. But I don't know. I say gin has a real way of clarifying my thinking. I can see exactly what's important in the world. Anyway, I had plenty of gin in my blood. And uh, all of a sudden, I looked up and realized everything was perfect about the night. You know, my best friends in the world were, were over. It's a gorgeous summer night. You know, we had the Christmas tree lights up, beautiful bottle of Tangeray we were drinking. And then I looked over at the bottle of Schweppes and I was like, what a piece of crap. You know, the label was peeling off. It looked like it you know, gotten designed in like 1958. The plastic bottle was dented. I obviously knew what was in the liquid. And I was like, why is there not a better tonic water? Like as good as everything else this night, let alone the gin, but also my friends and the beautiful summer night. And I realized the world needed a better tonic water. And slowly as the, uh, you know, as the wheels in my head turned, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a better tonic water. Long story short, I did ordered, just long story, just a little longer, I ordered a, a bag of bark on the internet. You know, when my head cleared that morning, I figured out next morning, I figured out what tonic water was supposed to be. It's supposed to be like this thing called quinine, which 
comes initially from a tree from Peru and it has some antimalarial properties, a little sugar and some carbonated water. So I ordered a bag of bark on the internet and started mixing stuff up in my kitchen. Eventually found a small little soda plant who could help me make a prototype. And I sold that product into Milk and Honey, Gramsci Tavern, uh, Little Branch and Blue Hill at Stone Barns, you know, four of the best bars and restaurants in, in New York City. And in retrospect, it wasn't because I was a master salesman. It was more that these places had, re- had agonized over everything else, including their beer, spirit, and wine, but also you know what their plates look like, the lighting, the way they do service. And they just didn't have the opportunity to, to, to serve their customers a tonic water of the same quality and sophistication. So when I came walking in the door, they were already kind of looking for uh, or at least receptive to what what I was offering. So anyway, sold into those four places pretty quickly. Gin Company found me, brought me to an uh, event at Rockefeller Center um, where we did Ultimate Gin Tonics. Florence Fabricant from the New York Times, the head dining in writer, was there. She loved the gin and tonic and the story of my tonic water. Next day, I got a call from the fact-checking department from the New York Times so I got a website up in two days, and then next week the article hit. It was really nice, and I had you know 800 places around the world who wanted to buy buy my tonic water. Uh, you know, bars in Japan and big retail chains. And meanwhile, I just had a couple hundred cases in my basement in Brooklyn. So I said no to just about everyone except a couple of fancy bars in New York City that I could deliver to, and the flagship Whole Foods store in Austin, Texas. They wanted to buy a pallet. So yeah, me, and my then girlfriend, now wife, and mother of my two kids went down there for a weekend of demos, kind of sold through the pallet by day and by night, you know, Tex-Mex food and margaritas. And by the time I got back, it's like, I think I have something here. So I did have something, but it has been a long journey. You know, it's been 14 years of blood, sweat, and tears. And now we have this full line of 11 different flavors that are served at, you know, thousands and thousands of better bars and restaurants around the country, as well as carried by just about every major retailer in the country. So it has been a long way since that, uh, those, that, for that sixth drink that night. I love that. Well, let's, you know, fast forward 14 years later, as you said, yeah. business is distributed across the world, uh, lots going on, and then COVID and the pandemic hits. Yeah. How did that shift your strategy for Q Mixers? Yeah. So we were rocking and rolling. We had a whole company retreat, March 11th, 12th, and 13th down in New Orleans. And we were fired up. Our on-premise sales, you know, sales to bars and restaurants were up by 75% the year before in 2019. And we had just won like Marriott's business, which includes like the Ritz, JW Marriott, W Hotels, like all these hotels. So we were on cloud nine. Obviously, people stopped going to bars and restaurants this last year. So our retail business went through through the roof. And, you know, we had weeks that we were up 140% year on year. And for the year, we're up, you know, in those 70s numbers, like the, like the on-premise business the year before. And what kind of happened is that people started drinking a lot more at home, in particular cocktails. The way I kind of think about it is there were some trends that existed pre-COVID. There was a big shift away from beer to cocktails, and there was a big shift within cocktails towards premium spirits and towards premium mixers. 
And those trends accelerated during COVID. What we tell people is that Americans learned how to make cocktails at home during this last year. So we put our energy and time into our retail business. So first and foremost, uh, that was production. We made sure that we could ship every single order that came in. And um, we are, I would say, lucky, but it's not lucky. We were prepared and we were able to ship when Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, Kerg were not able to. So we first were reliable. Then we made sure our stuff got on shelves by using a number of digital tools to ensure, ensure shelf compliance. You know, pre COVID, the big Beverage companies send people into all their stores. And during the COVID, they couldn't obviously do that as well. So we had, you know, we didn't have the money or the staff to do that pre-COVID. So we had developed some digital tools and we use those digital tools and spades to stay on the shelf. And then we talked a lot, whether it be on our own channels or through the media, about how easy it is to make a great cocktail with our stuff. You just buy a good spirit. Put, a put it in a glass with ice and then pour a can of our stuff or a bottle of our stuff on top with a garnish. And there you have a drink that is good enough for the Four Seasons or any terrific bar or restaurant. And people really embrace that. And we had a phenomenal, at least at retail, 2020. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. When you look at that, you mentioned, you know, 2020 was the year Americans learned how to uh, make cocktails at home. What trends do you see continuing in 2021 for the beverage space? So I see all of those happening. So the trends that kind of we rode this last year pre-existed COVID. Again, a switch from beer and a lesser to a lesser extent wine to cocktails. Look, I love a beer myself, but it's just not as good technology as as, as a spirit. It has probably more calories, uh, gets you less and gets you less drunk, and probably makes you makes you tired. So there's kind of a, a movement away from that pre-COVID. And that certainly was the case during COVID. And I see that happening more and more going forward. And look, the big beverage the big beer companies see that as well. You know, there's a reason. Molson Coors is doing what they're doing. There's a reason ABI is doing what they're doing. You know, they're pushing towards these spike seltzers and kind of other types of other types of drinks. So I see that happening more and more. And then I get, at the same time, I also see a move within cocktails to premium, premium spirits and premium mixers. Uh, I guess the way I see the whole thing is from day one, I've had consumers who understood the concept. Hey, I'm using a good gin. I should have good tonic water. Hey, I'm using a good vodka. I should have a good ginger beer. And our biggest holdup was just people not knowing that there was a, a better option for mixers. They just thought there was, you know, Schweppes and Canada Dry, which are pretty mediocre products. And they didn't 
pay attention enough. They didn't realize whatever, for whatever reason, they didn't know there was premium mixers. So during this last year of COVID, we had millions and millions of people who discovered us for the first time. And we have this, not to get too geeky, but we have this you know, demand funnel that we look at. And our demand funnel is basically the opposite of most companies. It's a inverted triangle as opposed to a pyramid in that very, very few people relatively know us. But the ones who do love us, buy us again, tell their friends. And so we see kind of more people having come into the enterprise during COVID, that kind of virtuous cycle turns even more quickly as we come out of COVID. That said, there might be like a balance shift in our in our business. We may not be so predominantly, revenue may not so predominantly come from retailers. It might go again, taking gains a lot of money from bars and restaurants, but the concepts underneath those, those things, you know, the move towards spirits and cocktails and the move towards premium spirits and premium mixers is just accelerating. With that in mind, how is uh, Q Mixers aligning the business to meet these predicted consumer needs, ranging from product launches to anything else? So we are at retail. We're talking with our retail partners and explaining to them, hey, wouldn't you rather make four or five bucks every time someone buys a mixer than $1.29? And you, by the way, you see how well this did this last year. So we're working with them to make sure, first and foremost, we're retailed as we deserve to be. An example at Kroger, we were Q mixers, little Q mixers. We had 14 linear feet of shelf space in their whole mixer set, usually on the bottom shelf. And meanwhile, Schweppes and Canada Dry, you know, Coke, Pepsi, they had huge parts of space. However, last year during this pandemic, when the whole category was up, you know, 25 or 30% because so many more people were drinking at home and we were up over 100%, Q mixers was the number one driver of incremental revenue. Not like, oh, you guys were up the most. We were up the most. No, literally the most new dollars created by the set, both in terms of new customers coming into it, existing customers switching from Swept or Canada Dry to Q, or people just drinking more mixers, buying more of the mixers because they're so delighted. Little Q Mixers was the number one generator of incremental dollars. So we talked to them and say, hey, guys, you guys can make a lot more money if you actually give us space that we deserve. And, oh, my God, imagine if you actually put us on display, you know, next to the limes, next to the charcoal. Wow, you guys could really make a lot of money. So we're trying to ride that, obviously, working with our retail partners. And it's not anything we're tricking them into. Uh, it can help them make more, more money. At bars and restaurants, pre COVID, you know, we our our stuff comes in uh, beautiful six point three ounce glass bottles and seven point five ounce cans, as well as a bigger serving. We're, we're working with our kind of bar and restaurant partners on a thing called a spectacular serve, which some people might call club service, where if you're offered a gin tonic or a vodka soda, the waiter brings it in with an ice glass with a little booze in the glass and a garnish. And then the customer, the waiter maybe starts the, the pour of the club soda, then leaves the rest for the customer to, to finish off. And kind of bars and restaurants were very excited about using this to kind of delight their guests with this experience they couldn't or wouldn't have at their own house. And that was working really, really well for our sales team as a way for to offer their kind of customers a way to differentiate their experience. Hey, fancy restaurant or even decent restaurant, the Irish bar in the corner now has Hendrix and Tonic. Why don't you offer a really distinctive service standard to your customers? And they're really enjoying that. We've now added kind of the safety element as well. 
soda guns are the number one cause of health code violations in New York City and lots of cities across the country. And we didn't really hit that that hard pre-COVID, but we're now kind of talking more about that, you know, a clean, a clean can or a clean bottle to the customer feels just a lot safer in this environment where safety is certainly on people's minds more than it may have been at one point. So when you look back over the last 14 years of this kind of great entrepreneurial journey, what's been the advice that's really shaped and uh, brought the business to where it is today? So, you know, first of all, there's not one stage that the company has gone through. You know, what I do day in, day out, and what the organization does day in, day out today is a lot different than at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, I was carrying a backpack, knocking on bars and restaurants and doors and trying to buy, help them buy my stuff. And I was actually on the line, you know, at the production facility at 5 a.m., batching the thing up, you know, watching every single bottle. And that's, I guess, fortunately, not what I do anymore. So there's been different stages and different advice has been kind of helpful along the way. However, I think the one piece of advice that I think has been the best and one that I probably ignored more than I should came from Danny Meyer, the guy who owns uh, or runs Gramercy Tavern at 1.11 Madison Park, kind of a leading restaurateur, arguably in America. When I initially sold into Gramercy Tavern, I uh, was so excited that I read his book, this book called Setting the Table, which is a fantastic book, and I recommend it to kind of anybody in any walk of life, but particular people who are trying to start something and kind of work with others. And I immediately, I finished, I got sold into Grandma's Tavern on Thursday, immediately picked up the book, you know, read it that weekend. And then Monday, I emailed Danny Meyer, called, you know, their offices. Hey, like, hey, what's Mr. Meyer's email address? And they gave it to me. And I'm like, you know, hi, Mr. Meyer. My name is Jordan. Uh, made this tonic water that Graham Stavron starting to ser- uh, serve. And I just read your book. It's amazing. I would love like three minutes of your time or five minutes of your time to get some and ask you a couple of questions about being an entrepreneur. And Danny, because he is the uh, nicest person on the planet, uh, said, sure, why don't you swing by, you know, let's Levin Madison Park next Tuesday afternoon or whatever for a cup of coffee or something. So I did. And so we sat down. I had my list of, you know, 25 questions or whatever. And he said, Jordan, before we start, I'm going to tell you one thing that someone told me when I started and I completely ignored them. I expect you to ignore me as well, but I just say, please do not. I'm like, what, 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 what? He said, try to enjoy this process of building this company. You will be successful. Don't worry about that. Worry about enjoying the process along the way. And I'm like, what? First of all, that's the nicest thing anybody besides my mom has ever said to me. Second, how do you know I'm going to be successful? Like, what? I just got this, you know, cases in my basement in Brooklyn. And he said, look, you sold this product in Graham's Graham's Tavern. You immediately read the book email me. And now I'm sitting and have a, co- a coffee with you, with you. You got something. This is going to be very successful. Try to enjoy the process. And the real answer is I haven't done as good a job of that as I could have. And, you know, virtually every day I try to do a little better at it. But as I, my company has grown and I've kind of taken on more of a leadership than a doing role, I think that advice is even more wise today in that, no matter how great your business is, is, there are going to be ups and downs, and there are going to be high highs and low lows. And if you're not taking a second to enjoy things, to really pause and celebrate your victories, both personally, but also with the people that you're working so hard with, 
it becomes a grind and it just becomes one problem after another that you're solving. But if you try to have some fun, particularly by celebrating some of the, some of the victories you have on along the way, it just keeps you going and keeps you going. And at the end of the day, I think that's the real secret of building a business. I hate to say is just showing up and bringing good energy and optimism literally every morning to, to your job and to your business. And that's advice advice more more and more people need to hear. Yeah. Where do you take the business from here? So our ambition is to be the number one mixer overall in America. So we're like on a per, you know, linear foot basis. We have some really good numbers that couple very, very big retailers. We want to be literally bigger than Schweppes and Canada Dry everywhere in America at retail. And then bars and restaurants, we want to be the leading premium mixer for all the bars and restaurants. Schweppes and Canada Dry aren't that big there, but there is a tremendous opportunity that as bars and restaurants realize that they can't get away with serving the mediocre stuff that comes out of the soda gun, and they need to replace it with carbonated mixers that are as great as everything on the wine list or on the beer list or the uh, the spirits carried uh, in the, on the back bar. We are going to lead that charge and be the dominant player. So that is kind of the aspirations, and certainly hope to have some fun fun along the way. Well, that is wonderful. I really appreciate you telling the story of Q mixers and everything you've done. It's a uh... One, I've got many in my fridge that I personally love them. So thanks for creating something that makes the cocktails a lot better. My pleasure and uh, please enjoy. Indeed. Well, thank you again and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.